Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. People ask me sometimes where ideas for sermons come from. And I imagine that they imagine ideas come down from on high after time spent in deep reflection and prayer. And sometimes they do. This one, on the other hand, came while I was at Chipotle. I was having lunch with a friend and he was telling me how he woke up thinking that morning about, of all things, Gonzaga University's men's basketball team. Now, if you've kept up with college basketball this year, you know that Gonzaga came into the NCAA Finals with a 31-0 perfect season. They were poised to become only the eighth school in history to go undefeated and the first team to do it since Indiana University in 1979. But rivals Baylor University had other plans. They handed the Zags a resounding defeat in the final game and left them with an enviable but imperfect record of 31-1. and Back at Chipotle, my lunchmate said he couldn't help but wonder how the team, looking back on such an extraordinary year, thought about what they had done. Were they able to enjoy such an incredibly successful season? Were they basking in the glow of those 31 straight wins? Or was that one final loss all that they could think about? As we talked, we wondered together about the ways so many of us do this in our lives, how we have trouble remembering the many glowing things our supervisor said in our review because of the one thing he or she said that we needed to work on, how we struggle to be proud of some piece of craftsmanship or piece of art that we create because of the tiny mistake down in the corner that no one would even notice, but is all that we can see. How parents give themselves so little credit for the day in, day out, admirable job that they do because they're too busy berating themselves for the few times that they lose their patience. Why do we do this? Why are we so quick to focus on what's wrong in ourselves and others and in the world without giving equal time to so much that's right? After pondering our conversation this week, I've decided that biology is to blame. Scanning for danger and anticipating problems is helpful from a survival point, and being overly positive especially in the often brutal world of our ancestors, well, it could, get you, it could get you killed. So as the genetic descendants of the relatively more cynical, grumpy, and negative members of the previous generations, it stands to reason that it's in our blood to focus a little more on the one loss instead of the 31 wins. We can also, I think, blame psychology being critical of others and putting them down has the effect, at least in the short term, of shoring up our fragile egos by making us feel superior. And being self-critical? Well, I wonder if that's sometimes a kind of warped attempt to beat others to the punch. Better to be hard on ourselves, maybe, 
so it doesn't hurt so much when others are. Whatever the reason, it's clear that focusing on the negative comes pretty naturally to us. And since we are so, since we so easily fall off the horse to that one side, well, then maybe we need to practice falling off the other side. And this we call the practice of gratitude. And all kinds of research shows the benefits of keeping a gratitude journal or, or of listing three things each night that we're thankful for. And I used to roll my eyes a bit when gratitude was becoming the new hot thing. You can't just force yourself to be grateful, I thought. But I've started to think that we need all the help we can get in this area. Now, I don't have this totally worked out. Remember, this all started over a burrito. But I do wonder if our tendency to focus on the one loss instead of the 31 wins is a more serious issue than we might think. And maybe we need to consider it not just through the lens of biology or psychology, but also theology. We joke about how hard we can be on ourselves or, or how much we complain or criticize or, or how judgy we can be. And it's clear we don't really think it causes that much harm. But what if this is actually one of the ways that evil in this world does its best work? Now, I know evil is a strong word to use, but what if evil doesn't just show itself in dramatic moments, like a mass shooting or some other act of cruelty? What if it shows itself too in the everyday slow drip of negativity and criticism of putting others down, of putting ourselves down? What if it does even more damage precisely because it operates right in front of us all the time and we don't take it seriously? We want to make, I want to make the case that focusing too much on the negative around us is theologically a distortion of the world and in a deep sense, a rejection of God and God's values. This is the day the Lord has made, the psalmist says. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not because this day is perfect. Not because we can't find plenty that is wrong with it. But because this day is a gift from God. And therefore it is beautiful and blessed and it is an act of resistance against the dark forces of this world to praise it. Now, the voice in my head is saying, and your voice in my head is screaming, that this is naive and Pollyannish, that the world may be beautiful, but it's also awful and hard and terrible things happen. And that's true, of course. I don't mean to deny or diminish that in any way. What I'm trying to get at is that in spite of the terrible things in our world, or maybe actually because of the terrible things in our world, to focus on what is good and beautiful is not naive. It's brave and faithful. And we need more of it. 
And by elevating our tendency to focus on the negative from some kind of bad habit or evolutionary trait to the level of sin and evil, I'm suggesting that there is more at stake in our habitual complaining and self-depreciation than we think. And I'm also suggesting that to fight it, we're going to need more than just gratitude journals. In our scripture lesson today, Jesus and the disciples are just heading out of Jericho when a blind man cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus invites the man to come over to him and asks, what is it you want me to do for you? Which at first seems a little thick-headed of Jesus, given that the man in front of him is obviously blind. But it's an important question. What do we want Jesus to do for us? Do we want him to help us win the lottery, find a good park parking spot, smite our enemies? Do we know what we want? Do we know what we most need? This pandemic has shown us how hard things can get. But in doing so, it has also revealed how precious things are and how important it is to appreciate what we have. And as we come out of this pandemic, we have an opportunity to ask what it is we really want and to ask God to help us, to help us go forward in a different way, to help us appreciate the world around us and to help us practice gratitude more than we practice complaining. Teacher, let me see, the man said to Jesus. And it can be our prayer too. Our prayer not to contribute to the slow drip of destructive energy that keeps us down and makes us small. It takes courage to focus on the positive. And the stakes are high. As we create this new world together by the things we choose to focus on every day. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. And let us see.